Well, in the last couple of weeks in the book of Hebrews, we've seen this picture of a, a faithful hero, right? We talked about the hero's journey. It's this <clears throat> faithful hero journeying by faith under the sovereignty and, and authority and even discipline of God the Father toward the heavenly city. Something that those who came before us, all those listed in chapter 11 and so many more, did not get to see but believed in and hoped for this greater reality of the city of God. And in that regard, the author has some really amazing news for us in this passage this morning. There's this pattern that recurs throughout the book of Hebrews, you've probably noticed, that a warning is issued followed by encouragement and and reassurance. And we see the same thing here in chapter 12. The author ended the previous section with a, with a serious warning, right? Don't be like Esau, who, who squandered his birthright and, and experienced consequences that couldn't be undone. And now comes the comfort. But if you were listening during the reading of this passage, you know that it takes a few verses to get to the comforting part. Uh, so let's read, backing up a bit, starting in verse 15, for a bit of context here. See to it. That no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So the author here expects his readers to know their Bible. Uh, so let's see if we pass this morning. What, what's he talking about here? What, what mountain is this? You can say it. What, what mountain is he talking about? Sinai. Sinai. Very good. All right. There was, there was a gimme in the Old Testament reading this morning. But yes, this is Mount Sinai, the place God led the people of Israel to after delivering them uh, from slavery in Egypt. And the scene at Sinai is terrifying. For all the people and and all their senses, right? There's burning fire and darkness and gloom and a windstorm and trumpets and booming words from the sky. And the people are so overwhelmed that they beg Moses to go on their behalf, mediate for us. You go and communicate with God. We can't speak directly to him. Why? Remember the prophet Isaiah's encounter with God? It's very similar with the shaking and smoke and even flying creatures. And he's terrified. He knows that as a sinful being, he cannot approach God in his holiness. He thinks he's going to die. It's the same thing at Sinai. The people are exposed. If you remember, they just heard the law given to them in what's called the Ten Commandments. And they know their inability to fulfill that law. They know they are sinful. And they see if they attempt to approach God in that sinful state or even touch the mountain, they die. Now, the good news is that there is another mountain. And again, if you were paying attention in the readings, you know that the second mountain is a whole lot better, right? And, and so this makes us want to just jump over Mount Sinai and get to the happy mountain. 
because we don't like dark and stormy and scary for, for good reason. Like those actually at the mountain, it, it's terrifying. And it, and it leaves us feeling vulnerable, right? We, we can also think that God's just a jerk in the Old Testament. So let's get to Jesus where God is our buddy. And, and we do get to God is loving and kind and forgiving, which isn't a new God, but we have to stop at Sinai before passing on to the second mountain. <clears throat> so let's pause and sit in this for a minute and try to understand. And what we need to understand is holiness, God's holiness. Now, this isn't necessarily exactly what the author is getting at with these verses here, but it's part of a broader theology presented in the Bible and something that can easily confuse us, especially in passages like this where we see a comparison of old and new and we can think that God changed somewhere along the line or, or that God's the problem. And this is bad theology. It's an improper understanding of God. So holiness, we need to understand. To be holy, as you might know, is to be unique or set apart, one of a kind, completely other. And God is holy. He is one of a kind, unique, set apart, because he is the author and source of everything, right? He, he has the power to generate and sustain reality. So what happens when we come into that presence? When we come into the presence of a being who is power and purity and goodness completely, it's overwhelming because we quickly recognize that we're merely human and we are not good. We are corrupt. Which is why when people encounter God in these stories, it's, it's not fun. Isaiah thought he was going to die. The people at Sinai thought they were going to die. And if they would have attempted to approach God on their own, they would have. And we have a hard time with this. Again, we either don't understand it or, or it makes us uncomfortable or, or even angry. It, it's certainly very offensive in our culture. God is labeled as an intolerant God. Let me try and help us understand with an analogy that you may have heard before, but it, it's really very helpful. Let's talk about the sun. The sun is, is a holy object in our solar system, right? It, it's the only one like it. Not, of course, in the universe or even our galaxy, but in our solar system, it's a one-of-a-kind perpetual explosion of heat and energy. Now, we're 93 million miles away from the sun, and if we spend too much time exposed to it, we, we know we can be burned, right, among other things. We know that well here, yes? The sun is raw, pure energy. And it's good, right? We, we like the sun. We need the sun. Without the pure, holy, one-of-a-kind, unique energy of the sun, life on earth doesn't exist. So it's a good thing. Now, does this mean that the sun is your BFF and you can teleport there and just hang out on the surface with your sun buddy? No, no. No, that's insane because if we get burned by the sun at 93 million miles away, just get one million miles closer 
and you're dead. And you're still 92 million miles away. Now, is that because the sun is bad or intolerant? Is the sun a jerk for doing that? The sun is just being. Its nature is raw, pure power. So the problem is not the sun. The problem is me, that I am not fit in my frail humanity to be in the presence of a holy object in that way. And we're welcome to protest against the sun, right? A lot of us probably did that this summer. But, but how ridiculous, because the sun could just say, you exist because of me. I sustain your life. But we think that when we feel the effects of such holiness, that it's that, it's that thing's fault. And here's the thing about God's holiness that we need to wrestle with here, especially, especially when we read things like the terror of God's presence at Mount Sinai or any other passage that puts God's holiness or justice or wrath on display. It's necessary to ask, is it possible that God is not at fault here? Is it possible that I am the problem? We get angry or or frustrated that God would expose something in us or, or judge us because we have not humbled ourselves. His holiness exposes our sin. And if I'm unwilling to humble myself before God's holiness, that's bad news. And it's not because God is a jerk or intolerant. It's because I'm unwilling to face reality. This was the wilderness generation at Sinai who refused to hear God's voice and be in his presence. But that does not have to be the way that we interact with and come into contact with God's holy presence. We can live at Sinai, but because of the good news of Jesus, this is not the mountain that we have come to. Let's keep reading in verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all. And to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So if we look back to the the first part of this chapter and and the practical commands to to throw off the weight of sin and and run with endurance. How? How how can we endure hostility and and struggle against the flesh and persevere in faith? How how can we lift drooping hands and strengthen weak knees and strive for peace and holiness? Why should we put off sexual immorality, the sexual immorality of Esau, and rather put on the holiness of God? Because we haven't come to the mountain of darkness and death. By God's grace, we have come to Mount Zion. To the heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. Zion is the name that, that King David gave to the city of Jerusalem. And, and it's, God's, it's God's holy mountain. It's a, it's a hot spot, if you will, of, of God's holy presence. It's called the city of the great king in Psalm 48. Psalm 110, the Lord and his Messiah reign from Zion. Psalm 50, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty 
God shines forth. Zion will not be shaken or destroyed, but will endure forever, Psalm 125 says. And so we see that life at this mountain is much different. At Sinai, there was dread and fear because because sin was exposed. And, And there was a lack of access to God because of that sin. But at Mount Zion, the place that the author assures us as Christians that we have come to, and in the presence of the same holy God as Sinai, it's cause for celebration. God's presence is is no longer a threat. Why? What's the difference? What have we been seeing for the last five months? Jesus. Jesus. There's no dread and fear because we have come to God through Christ and we, we share in his holiness. We have put on his holiness. The good news is that even for broken, sinful people like us, through Jesus, God is drawing us to himself. Again, this is the same God of Sinai. He's called here the judge of all. It's the same holiness, the same holy presence of God where sin and brokenness are exposed. The way we respond to and interact with that holiness is now different because of Jesus. Now, for some people... God's holiness will be a terrifying experience. If we refuse to humble ourselves and shake our fists at God and say, who are you to judge me? I know what's best and this is how I'm going to live my life. Then God's holiness is actually dreadful and deadly. But for those who who humble themselves before God, through Christ, recognizing that that we are messed up and need rescuing, then then God's holy presence is good news because it saves us. And that is cause for celebration with angels and saints and feasting and joy on the mountain of God. We have come to Mount Zion. We are experiencing the reality of, of what the faith of the saints gone before only hoped for in the city of the living God. The author says that this city is made glorious by many things, but particularly Jesus, right? And the fulfilled promise of the new covenant through the perfect blood of Jesus that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Commentators differ on whether this is speaking of Abel's own blood or the the blood of the sacrifice that he offered. I think that we can see both. See, Abel's blood condemned Cain to, to exile and exclusion. The blood of Christ grants us admission and, and, and access. Abel's blood cried out for vengeance. The blood of Christ pleads for mercy. And the blood of the sacrifice that Abel offered was good and pleasing to God. The perfect blood of the sacrifice of Jesus was better than Abel's. It it speaks a better word because it speaks to, to pardon sins. And it speaks eternal peace to the souls of mankind. Through that blood we have come to Mount Zion to the holy presence of God. But are we on the mountain or just at the mountain? What's going on here? Well, this is very much an already not yet 
situation. In, in Exodus 24, we see Moses ascending Mount Sinai into the presence of God, and he brings with him Aaron and his sons and 70 elders, and they, they feast and experience the presence of God together, and then they descend back down into, into their world, into their people, because they were not yet called to live on that mountain. In a similar fashion, we have come to the heavenly city, the, the dwelling place of God. We have, we have ascended the mountain right here, right now, in our liturgy. Right? We have been welcomed into God's presence through Christ, and we are hearing from him, and, and we will feast with him. But we are not called to live here, not yet. So we are sent back into the world to, to extend the very grace we've been given in the presence of God to the people of the world. We have tasted the heavenly reality and we will one day come to live forever on Mount Zion, which is why he goes on to give a final warning here. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth... Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We have come to the mountain, but we have yet to ascend and live on the mountain. So the the author is warning us to pay attention to the God who is speaking to us. Hear his voice calling us to run with perseverance and not grow weary. Hear him speaking through the blood of his son to draw near. Why? Why? Because what we have come to is is far greater and the consequences of disobedience and falling away are far more severe. If we reject the very thing that can save us, then what's left? Do not refuse him who speaks. There will be a day, the author says, when God will shake things, not as the voice At Sinai shook the earth, but the voice of God will shake everything, heaven and earth. This this is a cosmic event that will take down everything that needs to be taken down so that what is good and true, everything that cannot be shaken will remain. And the warning is that this coming judgment is inescapable for those who fail to hold fast and and ultimately fall away. That That is a dreadful and terrifying day. Again, those who do not humble themselves before the holiness of God will not remain. So don't fall away. We have come to the mountain of God and we are not, as the author has already said, of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So what do we do? How do we respond? How is faith lived out? In worship, in right 
worship. Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our response should be worship where where awe is the mode of our approach because God is still fiery as he was on Sinai, yes? Just as we don't casually waltz up to the sun and hang out, how much more then should we be careful in worshiping the living God with reverence and awe, with godly fear? So in our, in our worship together, as, as the church, we don't come on Sundays just for our own sake, but to first and foremost worship God. We don't, we don't shape our service around our preferences, but around the right worship of God. We gather for for his glory, and, and in that glory, we find our glory. I realize that may have been a lot, so let me, let me close and summarize very briefly. As Christians, we, we journey onward, and, and we persevere and endure because we have come to the city of God that cannot be shaken or destroyed, but will endure forever. And with eyes fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, we hold fast so that we may one day, when when that city is fully and perfectly united with the earth, dwell forever with God on his holy mountain, in his holy presence. Don't let that be lost on you. Do not refuse him who is speaking. Worship him with awe and wonder. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and for the assurance that we have come to your holy mountain, your heavenly city, even as we gather right now because of your perfect son. I pray that your Holy Spirit will bind this assurance to our souls, giving us faith to hold fast and persevere. I pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.